0: Top Radio. Welcome everyone to the Russ Ellis show tonight on Wicked Duck Tape. Russ is now one of the Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod radio host, and we are so pleased to introduce him. Russ Ellis is the author of Duck Tape Won't Fix This. Great, great title for a book. And he's going to be talking about how he claimed his voice and stood in his power as the father of a child who survived cancer six times. He understands the challenges faced by other fathers, husbands, and caregivers. He knows why duct tape won't fix this. And sometimes duct tape won't fix anything. So welcome to the Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod Radio Network. Russ, we're so glad to have you as our latest radio host. And uh we're really excited to talk about uh why duct tape won't fix this.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here. Um I find this to be exciting that uh, I actually get to get to put my voice out there for others to hear. Um and I hope to start a nationwide conversation with the fathers of the 32 million uh, families who have a chronic illness or live with a child who has a chronic illness. Uh, that's the the reason that we need to have a conversation is because the divorce rates in these families runs in the 80-plus percent range. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about it, and uh, hopefully you guys will uh, be able to uh, participate and Let's
0: see where we can take this. Well, as one of the wicked housewives on Cape Cod, Cat O'Keefe, Canada. I just want to, I just want to tell you how important your message is, and how important it is that we get that message out to everyone who thinks that they're alone in this crisis, mm-hmm. and that they have nowhere to go, no one to talk to, and that no one understands. So the other wicked housewife of, of, on Cape Cod. Lori Boyle, is uh, also very excited to have you on our radio show. Of course. Uh, Russ, we are just thrilled that you want to be part of uh, the Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod Radio Network. And uh, I know Kat and I both think that your work is tremendous and that uh, you are going to have an enormous audience. Because really, it's not just for men, but uh, I think it's going to help a lot of families and uh maybe a lot of wives who uh when they hear your story they're gonna go, Hey, I'm married to this guy and uh you know, I'm married to a guy just like him and I'm having the same problem. So, you know, um it's gonna be an excellent show. Um now Russell, can you can you tell us a little bit about your background? You actually uh lived in California for a short period of time.
1: Yes, I uh We moved to California when my brother was uh, diagnosed with uh, heart problems, and we lived there from 1956 to 1966. And the reason I came home was uh, an automobile accident that broke me completely up from head to toe and killed two kids sitting right beside me who happened to be my best friends. And um, the system that they had out there uh, was... politically politically connected and he ended up killing four people in the accident and he got uh, 30 days in jail and he had to spend it on his two days a week off so he didn't lose his job so we came home and we just uh, that was another of the the beginning of the adventures so that kind of claims my space
0: Kind of walk us through that a little bit, Russ. Tell, tell, give us a little more detail. Not because we're into gore, but because we want to be able to connect with how deeply you've gone down into crisis, grabbed yourself by your bootstraps, and pulled yourself back up. So th- th- this uh, person who hit you um, was under the influence of alcohol at the time and, and ran a stop sign and. Give us a little example of of the damage that you ended up having to overcome to get to where you are today.
1: Well, I was broken head to toe. I had a fractured skull. Uh, My left eye was almost cut out, uh, perforated eardrum, a broken collarbone. All the muscles in my left shoulder um, were torn loose. Uh, The bone of my upper left arm uh, broke and popped out through the skin. And when I got thrown out the door, I dragged out three-quarters of an inch on the ground. And there were uh, all kinds of internal injuries. Uh, the, my family uh, had the paperwork signed. They were going to amputate my arm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, all kinds of internal injuries, broken pelvis. You could put your fist on my upper left, the bone of my upper left leg. And my gear shift went through my right shins, and all sorts of other Cuts, contusions, and abrasions—not um, not a lot.
0: And and tell us how old were you when this happened? And and the people that were in the car with, with you were they relatives, friends? What were they?
1: Uh, I was sixteen at the time, and the two kids with me were my best friends. And we had a seventeenth surprise birthday party the following Monday. The accident happened on Friday night, and. We had a surprise birthday party for uh, the kid at the door uh, who died at the scene. And the other, the kid in the middle, he died nine days later uh, when I woke up from, I came to, and they told me that uh, he had died. And so I started saying stupid stuff like I want to die too, so they put me into a medical medically induced coma. And then I woke up three or four more days later and got on with business.
0: Yeah, you know, and that's that's how we expect men to behave, right? Uh, suffer the consequences, suffer all the internal injuries, the injuries to your physical body, but obviously uh, you had emotional wounds as well watching two of your friends uh, die and uh, other people who were in the accident as well. And that's a, that's a lot for a 16-year-old, you know? I mean... Um, it's a hard thing to process mentally. And, uh, also, that is really what we're talking about here with your duct tape won't fix this is how to, uh, feel those feelings, let them go instead of having them build up, build up, build up and coming out in all different, uh, unacceptable and, uh, unacceptable ways. So, um, Russ, can you tell us a little more about, um, your what happened after that,
1: well, we went through the court process and um, it it just didn't work out very well and And what I think I want to talk about in this through this process was the huge um, trauma that this thing was and it was nowhere to talk about it, nobody to talk to. It's just shut up, suck it up, and move forward. And so I I think that's really the key that, uh, to where I'd like this conversation to head toward anyway. So.
0: Right, and then we, we know that your your daughter has suffered cancer six different times and has pulled through. And uh, I also know that that was a very emotional journey for you as well. And again, you know, it was the old, uh, you know, don't talk about it, uh, keep going, soldier on kind of thing. And uh, that's what your book is really about. Duct tape won't fix this. And, you know, being the father and the husband uh, and the friend, when you have things like this happen to you, That's right. Duct tape isn't going to fix it. Nothing's going to fix it. Money won't fix it. And when duct tape won't fix it and money won't fix it, now you have something really, really broken. So um, tell us what you want to do um, with your book, with this radio show. Uh,
1: What would you like to achieve? Ideally, what I would really like to achieve is a nationwide conversation with the 32 million dads who have a child with a chronic illness, give them a place to vent, uh, to just know they're not alone, that they're they're not crazy, and that they're doing the best they can with what they know how to do, and how quick and easy it is for everybody to throw disparaging remarks at somebody that is just done with giving everything that he had and had to walk away from the family just for survival. What we need to do is bring that person back into the conversation as well, and let's let's talk it through. Let's make it an okay conversation that we're coming together as men in community, not in competition. You know, because we're, you know we never talk to each other. We don't ask for help. We don't cry. We don't. We don't. We don't. But we also aren't living a very solid life either. You know, we're we're out here. Uh, in competition, and it, it just is, it's not the way to solve a problem. So, what I would like to see is, again, open conversation. Let's talk about it and help each other. Um, those of us who have been down the road a lot longer or a lot harder, um, maybe we can reach back and help those coming ahead, you know, coming behind us, bring help them come ahead and not end up in a divorce court. And you know, I'm one of the 80 plus percent because I didn't know how to deal with any of this other than I worked and I worked and I worked. I worked. I never worked anything less than 80 hours a week and up to 110, right? So that was my contribution when I folded under the pressure of the stress of, of the emotional side of it. I ran to work and that was what I did, you know, and that was my contribution or so I thought. Um, and, and you know, I never had my anger. Uh, I was never allowed to have anger. Uh, depression was a big part of my life. Uh, all I when when I was in a depressed state, I would just say, "I'm just having a shitty day." Um, you know, we need to talk about this. You know, there are there are ways that we can help each other, not to. Something that's real and substantive, and and let's make a change. You know, let's be the let's be the change. So let's let's see what we can do. And, and I hope that uh, I will be hearing from you guys uh, as we move forward uh, on a much more regular basis. In 36 years, I've never spoken to another dad in my position. In the 37th year, I met three out of 34 million. That's not much. So we need to uh, do a better job. So that's, I hope, uh, my goal.
0: So, Russ, we're, we're talking about anger here. Um, and, you know, any time you don't face anger, uh, when you're going through a crisis like that in your family and you don't deal with the emotions that are there, <laughs> then uh, your whole life starts to fall apart. So, let's talk a little bit about anger. What tip would you give our listeners? Uh the the husbands, the fathers, the brothers that are in the family because um that's something that that has to be faced. You can't push it down. You can't sweep it under the rug. You're, it's going to trip you and you're going to fall on your face. So, what is the one tip you can give our listeners when it comes to dealing with dealing with your anger? or dealing, if you're a a wife listening, dealing with the anger that your husband is suppressing?
1: Well, I think then it's important for the wife to be accepting of anger for what it is. It's not anger at her. It's not anger at anything in particular. It's just the frustration of, we're dead, we're supposed to fix things and go bump in the night. And we can't fix this, change it, alter the outcome. And that takes a, a huge chunk out of you. You know, out of your psyche. Um, anger won't hurt you if you express it in a in some manner of a you know, take a baseball bat out back and beat the hell out of the trash can or something. Uh, you know, or or a pillow, you know. But you've got to deal with it. It's it's a you know If you sit on it, it it festers inside of you and it leaks out in the most inappropriate times, in the most inappropriate ways, that it does the most damage to your family, to your friends, to everything that you're trying to do. Just be more responsive or or open to hearing uh, your husband's anger, you know, because it's not about you, you know, it's about the stress of the situation, Uh,
0: Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about, the unexpressed anger. And that really is going to turn into depression, like a clinical depression, if you don't deal with it. It really will. And um, like you said, it's not anger at anyone in particular. It's anger at the situation. And uh, it has to be a, a safe way to express it, like you said, because otherwise it may come out in other ways that you don't intend. And and any suppressed feelings like that, um, that's what's going to happen. It's going to come out in ways that you don't intend on how to do that. Um, So, Russ, um, tell us a little bit about how you decided to write a book in order to, to help. All of those people out there, and 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 before you tell us that, give us a little more idea on the stats. What are the statistics of getting divorced? What are, what what are some of the stats that you were telling me about before the show that just just blew me away?
1: Oh, sure. Now you've asked it went right out of my head.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the the statistics that that stick out to me are the. Eighty-plus percent divorce rate in families with a sick child. The uh, guys just are not designed to have emotions. Uh, what I, what I, one of the things that I said before the show was that I lived with four emotions: happy, sad, depressed, and rage. And I don't care how you stir that pot; you're not going to come up with a whole lot of good stuff. So. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here really trying to remember the stats, but I can't.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I know it, it's hard when you're put on the spot right. like that. But you know, tell us a little bit how you decided to take all of that that emotion that you had and all that knowledge that you accumulated over over all those those years and put them into your book. Tape won't fix this. Uh,
1: four years ago, I retired. And I'd been thinking about this for a period of time, and and I just decided if not now, when um you know i I could take all this information to my grave with me, and what good would that do so I started and and I started with the kids i I figured I was going to get to the kids through the dads, so I wrote a kid's book on how the magic how magic got into the magic hat, and I decided the magic hat. And I got the uh, hospitals uh, refusing to let me go in, working with it. So I decided, okay, um, actually what happened, the first thing that happened was the Association of Oncology Social Workers came to Boston, and I was volunteering at Social Work Hospital Hospital, uh, and they invited me to bring the hat and the book in to the display and show them there. And what I did was I showed them the hat and the book, but I told them what I wanted to do for the dads. And they told me that what I wanted to do for the dads was needed even more than I knew. So I put away the kid's book and the, the magic hat, and I wrote wrote the book. And it's it's less than 100 pages. It's like maybe, maybe 104. But it took me three years to write that because I had to relive all of that trauma, all of that pain, all of that... Just rage that, that is boiling inside of me in in an effort to, to, I hope, make it okay for somebody else to talk, to open up and say, yeah, I know what you're talking about, you know. So, did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, you, you did. I mean, that's wonderful. So... Um your book actually then came from a need rather than you just saying, well, I'm going to write a book. You were actually fulfilling a need with a book. And um, how can people find your book? Where can they go to actually get your book?
1: Uh, Amazon and Kindle um, and Riverhaven Books. And you can find them all. Everybody knows where that is, Amazon. Amazon. and my my uh, web page and – yeah, that covers it. What is your book? Yeah. Uh, the web page is Duct Tape Won't Fix This, and it'll take you right there. Um...
0: So, um, you know, it, although the book is, is short, it, it it packs a big punch. And so I just wanted to to give our readers, our listeners, uh, you know, a little bit of taste of this book. Duct tape won't fix this. And it's a father's perspective on raising a child with a chronic illness. And um, as a, a three-time breast cancer survivor, I remember watching parents bringing their children in for therapy and the look of disbelief in the children's eyes, like, Why do I have to go through this again in the fear? But the biggest fear I saw was in the parents' eyes. It mirrored the children's and then multiplied it by about 10. So in the forward of this book, it says, This story starts in 1969. After dating my girlfriend for a couple of years, we got married. After we settled into our apartment, we started saving for a house. We worked for a year, saving a down payment. We both worked, and we banked her pay for a year. Or was it mine? Whatever. At the end of the year, we had a down payment saved and bought a house. That was 1970. We were cruising along, following the American dream, and it seemed we were on target. It took a year to bring the house up to our standards. Then, in 1971, we got pregnant and started our family. We were, in fact, humming along, thinking we were on track like everyone else. Three years later, our second child was born, and we were now the average American family, mom, dad, two kids, a dog, and a house with a mortgage. Life was normal for three years, and we raised our kids with all the birthday parties and holiday events, growing to know their cousins, aunts, uncles, and extended family then, In the third year of my youngest child's life, a new story began, a story no one wants to read, never mind, live through. So why am I deciding to live through this story again? I have to ask myself, what is my long-term vision for this project? My first thought when trying to answer that question is, who am I having, who am I to have a vision. The real question should be, who am I to present this information and not have a well-defined vision to help those who are looking at this for the very first time? I do have a vision. And this is it. Number one, this book opens the door to meaningful conversation. Number two, By addressing this topic, we salvage marriages and families. Number three, coming together shows that we are strong and care about our family. And number four, creating communities of men around the country where we come together to speak our truth and are understood where we are at that exact moment by others who know it an instinctual level because we are living it firsthand, present tense, or have experienced it. So I've got to ask you, Russell, how many women and children have ever even thought that they would be affected by this in a very profound way? Have you spoken with people who have said, I never expected this to happen in my life?
1: Oh God, yes, starting with us. <clears throat> you know, this is uh, this only happens to someone else, you know. Um we we got involved at the at the hospital and we <clears throat> excuse me, uh we we made friends with some people in our area and we would commute a couple of times with them, you know, to bring the kids in or or whatever. Nobody wants this. This is a child this is something we're responsible for we created we brought it into the world and now there's a possibility possibility that this child may die before us and what that does is it eliminates any logic any um, idea that you know <laughs> basically logic left, the, left my life not just the room it left my life and and I I did everything I could think of to beat the odds and that's pretty much it. nobody wants this, no one.
0: Yes, I you know, no one expects it to happen to them until it happens to them. And then it's more like a surprise. And we aren't taught in any school anywhere how to handle these things as a family, as a person, um, as a man, none of it. So that's what we're hoping with this show. That's what we're hoping for with this book is that this is a platform to discuss those issues and uh, answer those questions for families, men, women, children, for, for families, for single people, anyone facing a crisis you can uh, really benefit from listening to this show. And we are so excited to have Russell Ellis with Wicked Duct Tape on the Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod Radio Network. Um, Thank you, Russell, and we're so excited to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And hopefully we'll grow this thing together.
0: You can join Russell on Tuesdays from 6 to 6.30, and of course his shows will be archived right here on Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod Radio Network. Thank you everyone for listening, and please tune in again.